sitting in my sermon, but I always think it's amazing there at the end of that passage, Jesus says, I'm going to give you all this authority to judge and do all these things, and then he says, Peter, you're going to really mess up. <laughs> uh, it's kind of amazing. We'll talk a little bit about that, but not directly. This is more of a topical sermon. Well, my name is Marshall Brown. I'm the senior pastor here, and I'll be teaching sort of on the passage that uh, Walter just read. Uh, it's going to be somewhat of a topical sermon, as you will, although we will address that uh, that passage. So uh, I do want to make one more announcement in addition to the ones that Nick has made. Uh, the second Tuesday of every month we gather, we gather for prayer, a group of us, every Tuesday at noon, but once a month, the second Tuesday of the month, uh, we really encourage everybody to come and we make it Zoom so everybody can come if you're even working uh, remotely all around the country, even the world, to join us at noon on Tuesdays. We pray for 30 minutes and so we'd love to have you join us in the West Hall in person, uh, but if you'd like to join us in person, uh, church-wide prayer time. There's some exciting things happening in the life of our church, and we will be, I'll kind of be updating uh, folks on that, and also we will be praying very specifically for a couple of those things. So this Tuesday at noon, per, in person or uh, Zoom, invite you to join us. Let me pray before we look at the Lord's Supper and Luke 22. This uh, passage, God, that we come to this morning in this idea of the Lord's Supper, your supper, is it's a mystery. Uh, none of us can plumb the depths of it, uh, and so I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would be with what I say, what we hear, and more importantly, when we come forward in a few moments, that you would be with us as we come to experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the table that he spreads for us week by week. Be with us now, for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. I came across an article recently about superagers. Superagers, you know, people like Walter, who just read the scripture. Uh, superagers. I hear Walter has a birthday coming up. But just, here's what a superager is someone who, despite not necessarily having a higher IQ uh, in their, than their peers, are now 80 years and above and have cognitive and physical abilities on par with people even decades younger than them. Superagers, they call them. And what superagers have in common with one another is superagers have ordered their life around a handful of things. Superagers, over a long period of time, have devoted themselves to staying active with exercise. They have stayed social. They have stayed positive, interesting. Uh, and they've also always welcomed mental and physical challenges. They are people who say yes to life. And then late in life, because of that, because they have ordered their life around these things, late in life, into their 80s and beyond, they are flourishing far more than their peers. Superagers. Now, we are in the midst of a sermon series called Amazing Grace. Uh, early this uh, late summer, early fall, we saw Jacob from the book of Genesis as an illustration of God's grace. Since October, we've been looking at the book of Romans as an explanation of God's grace. And last week we came to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, many would say, I would agree, that this is, Romans 8 is the high point of the scripture. If there's one chapter in the Bible that you would consider memorizing, make it Romans chapter 8. Theologians sometimes say that the, the book of Romans is like uh, the Himalayas of the high point, the Himalayas of the scripture. And among those Himalayas, Romans chapter 8 is Mount Everest. It is the high point of the scripture. 
We saw last week in Nick's teaching that Romans 8 begins with this great sentence, which was our assurance of pardon very intentionally this week, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is how Romans 8 begins. Here is how Romans 8 ends, the last sentence. Nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. From no condemnation to no separation. That's where we're headed in the weeks uh, to come on Romans 8. Romans 8 is like climbing a mountain that begins in no condemnation and makes its way and traverses all the way to we cannot be separated from God's love. No condemnation to no separation. That, friends, is amazing grace. Well, this week, though, we're taking a break from Romans 8 to talk about the Lord's Supper. But we are not taking a break from the sermon series, Amazing Grace. Because in so many ways, the Lord's Supper is the perfect way to experience, not just to understand, but to experience no condemnation, no separation. The Lord's Supper, better than any sermon, any Bible study, any prayer time, is a way to get these truths into your heart, to experience no condemnation, no separation. You see, friends, if Jacob is an illustration of God's grace, and Romans is the explanation of God's grace, the Lord's Supper is the experience, the immersive experience of God's grace. I was having lunch uh, a month or so ago with Aaron Baker. Some of you know Aaron Baker. Aaron is a pastor in the city and covenant prez in Bucktown. And we were talking about our denomination. We were talking about the PCA and why we joined it and why we have stayed with it. And he said, I was kind of talking about theological things. And Aaron said, though, I love the PCA because of the Presbyterian form of government. Uh, uh, okay, with its because our form of government has checks and balances, and there's a connectionalism. We're accountable to other churches. Uh, he loves that. I, I love that too. But he also said this. He said also the sacraments, the Lord's Supper. He said this because it seems like the president, the way we think about this, the Lord's Supper is a good thing to order your life around. The Lord's Supper is a good thing to order. Your life around. And it is. The Lord's Supper is a good thing to order your life around. Superagers order their lives around certain things. But newsflash, they all die. <laughs> but the Lord's Supper, as Jesus alludes to in this passage, we will be sharing something like it in the new heavens and the new earth. It is worth this supper, ordering your life around this meal. Let me give you a couple of my favorite quotes about the Lord's Supper from the history of the church. And let me just say this. I know in a room like this, uh, there's all kinds of, some of you were raised in the Catholic Church, or you call this the Mass or the Eucharist. Some of you come from like more Baptist or non-denominational churches, and you call this communion. Some of you have never been in a church before, and you're like, what is this thing he's talking about? I think they're going to eat something. I don't know what's going to happen, right? So I know that there's a range of people. I'm going to refer to it as the Lord's Supper. All of those are appropriate uh, designations uh, of it. But let me give you a couple of quotes from the history of the church. Thomas Akempis uh, wrote The Imitation of Christ. At one time, it was the second or third leading uh, book published of all time. He says this 600 years ago. The Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, is the health of soul and body. It is the remedy for every sickness. By it, my faults are cured, my passions curbed, temptations overcome or weakened. Grace is outpoured in richer measure. 
Virtue has, it has taken root, is strengthened, faith is increased, hope is made strong, love is kindled to envelop my being. It's beautiful. Richard Baxter, a couple of centuries after that, wrote this. Nowhere is God so near to humans as in Jesus Christ. And nowhere is Christ so familiarly represented to us as in his holy sacrament. Here, we are called to sit with him at his table as his invited. And then in this century, in T. Wright, Tom Wright says this. Why, some, he's asking the question, why do we do the Lord's Supper? Why do we do the Lord's Supper? He says, because this meal, think about this sentence, makes sense of the rest of the cosmos. It makes sense of Jesus. It makes sense of the spirit, of our human nature, of who the creator and redeemer is. This meal. But maybe most memorably to you, and certainly you'll be able to memorize this, it's only three words. Ignatius of Antioch said, the Lord's Supper, I love this, is the medicine of immortality. (laughs) Now, that needs some theological context and qualification. But when someone asks you this week in the checkout line at Mariano's, what you did this weekend? Like, well, you know, watched the World Cup game, went out to dinner, and tasted a little of the medicine of immortality. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Yeah. The medicine of immortality. (laughs) Well, today I want us to consider the Lord's Supper is a good thing to order your life around. And it's a good thing to order your life around because first, it tells the history of the world by telling us what time it is. Also, it is a good thing to order your life around because it builds community. And third, it is a good thing to order your life around because it offers an immersive experience of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first, It's a good thing to order your life around this meal is because it tells the history of the world by telling what time it is. Now there's a component of this meal that is in the past, that is in the present, and the future. Let me just look with you quickly. Look with me at verse 19 about the past. Jesus says this, this is the Passover meal. It's commonly called the Last Supper. I don't believe it should be called the Last Supper. I actually think it should be called the First Supper of the New World. Um... That Jesus is ushering in. But he says this. He took bread. He had given thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a command. What Jesus is saying is when I'm gone, do this meal, do this thing, take this meal to remember me. Okay? And first of all, you remember who I am, my disciples, which includes us, followers of Jesus. Remember that I am the creator Remember that I am the embodiment of everything about Israel. I am the, the, the inheritor of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Passover lamb. I am the new exodus. I am the king. I am the one who is returned from exile. I am the true Israelite. Remember who I am. And also, don't just do this in remembrance of who I am, but remember what I have done by dying on the cross for your sins. Remember who I am and what I have done in the past. So it's looking to the past. But that is not all. There's also a present dimension to this supper. 
Verse 19, I, I'll recite this because I already just quoted it. He literally, he takes bread. Actually, this is a formula in the scriptures, especially in the Gospel of Luke. He takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks the bread, and he gives it. He takes, he gives thanks, he breaks the bread, and he gives it. Which is to say this was and is a literal meal. Literally, there is nourishment. This meal is designed to physically nourish your bodies with the bread and the wine. But this meal is also designed to point beyond itself, where we feed on Christ by faith. Jesus knew and knows that your faith and mine would wax and wane, up and down. And he knew, despite the fact that this might offend me a little bit, that sermons were not enough. <laughs> Did you know that? You're like, yeah, we know that, Marshall. Uh, <laughs> sermons are not enough. And he wanted to give us this thing that we could taste and smell and touch. So although we do not believe this is the actual flesh of Jesus, this is more than just remembering. What we do when we come to the table is by faith we are actually receiving Christ and his benefits. Which is to say there is a real spiritual presence. This isn't just remembering. This isn't cookies and juice to remember what Jesus did. Something happens in this meal when we receive it by faith. We receive Christ and all the benefits he offers. I love what the old uh, Scottish theologian, uh, they called him Rabbi Duncan, John Duncan. He used to say, in the meal, in this meal, it's not that we get a better Christ, but we get Christ better. You hear that? It's not that we get a better Christ. But we get Christ better. It's more immersive, right? We are feeding upon Christ because our faith waxes and wanes. Just like you eat a meal to be strengthened, so you come to this meal to be strengthened. But there's also this in the present. We are preaching. I love this. Think about this. If you've ever wanted to be a preacher, I know that's not true for hardly any of you. But if you ever, this meal, you are actually a preacher. This is what the Apostle Paul says when he writes about this meal. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim, we preach the Lord's death until he comes. And so every time you come forward, you are preaching a sermon. You're preaching a sermon to everyone who is watching you, and you're also preaching a sermon to yourself. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we preach in the present the Lord's death until he comes. So we've seen the past, we've seen the present. There's also a future dimension. Let me read verses 16 through 18. I tell you, Jesus says, I will not eat of this meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God in the future. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, a party's coming. A party is coming. There is a feast that is on, you've got the, here's the Evite. Okay, here's the invitation. The wedding supper of the Lamb is coming. I don't know the t TBD, I don't know. But it's coming, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And at that meal, everything will be made right. Jesus will wipe all the tears from our eyes. Everything that is wrong will be made right. Evil will be put away. And we will not just see through a glass darkly. We will see God face to face. There is a coming supper of the Lamb. And this meal every week is a little foretaste. One of the things that I look forward to in summer is we're definitely leaving, uh, moving away from summer right now. But one of the things I love about summer is going to the ice cream shop and getting the taste, right? You get whatever, you get like three tastes before you finally order, right? I do. And what's the, la what's the max? But that, 
the ice cream you taste is the exact same composition of what you're going to order in just a moment, right? You get Rocky Road and a little thing, and then you get a big Rocky Road. It is a foretaste. And this meal is a foretaste of the central promise of all of Scripture. And the central promise of all of Scripture is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And this meal is a foretaste of a moment when we will not just see that kind of you know, fuzzy through faith, but face to face. I will be your God and you will be my people. This meal looks forward to that day and is actually a, future, a present experience of that future reality. So every time we take, we acknowledge what is true in the past, what we are experiencing in the present, and where history is headed, the renewal of all things in the future. This is a meal to order your life around because it tells the history of the world. But second, this is a good thing to order your life around because it builds community. This meal is not just vertical. It's not just between you and God. This also is horizontal. Look with me at verse 20. There is a common cup. Look with me at verse 21. They're around a common table. They are together. We're not going to do a common. I actually kind of would like to do a common cup. But they're around a common cup with a common cup and a common table, right? There is unity in this community. This is a meal, friends, that breaks down barriers. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about how this is a meal to break down racial barriers. In 1 Corinthians 11, he talks about how this is a meal to break down socioeconomic barriers, right? One reason that we need to come to this meal week by week is we need to keep crossing racial and socioeconomic barriers to move towards people who might not be like us or have what we have or don't have. But as much as this meal breaks down those barriers, this meal is also a place for relationships to be mended for community to be forged. We're now at the end of Jesus' ministry in Luke 22, but if you go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, 23. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift on the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. This table is a weekly call to you to get right with people. If you have a broken relationship with someone, this meal is a weekly call to get unified, to deal with what you need. To, maybe you need to escalate conflict to resolve it. But this meal is a call to be together as God's people, to be resolved with one another. If there's someone with whom you are not reconciled, go to them. Go to them and be Reconcile. It's interesting as I thought about my personal experiences of the Lord's Supper. Most of my most memorable and profound experiences of the Lord's Supper have been because of who I was with. Who I was with. I remember being with a group of pastor friends at a conference, taking the Lord's Supper with some of my deepest friends in ministry. Such a memorable moment. We were actually around a common table. I remember being in New York City one time and going forward, like we're going to do today, and kind of coming to the front line and looking up, and the person serving me was a long-lost friend, hadn't seen in years. But maybe my most memorable is one time the night before at a party, I had said something to someone that I regretted. I'd hurt them. And then as these things would happen, the next morning at church, I literally sat in the row in front of them. I was like, i got to say something. I got to say something, so I turned around and I apologized because I knew we were coming to the Lord's Supper that day. I was like, we're going to the Lord's Supper. I have to apologize. I have to make right with you. I said this. I did this. Forgive me. 
And that is such a, that is seared in my memory that moment. This person forgave me, a memorable experience. Because see, the Lord's quite, we'll talk about this in a moment, but the Lord's Supper at some level asks the question, who am I? And we're going to see that we're broken and loved. But it also asks the question, who are we? And we are the body of Christ. People who have been reconciled with God, therefore we make peace with one another. We cross racial and socioeconomic barriers and we come to the supper together. This is the great unifying point of churches, of communities, and one day of the whole world. This needs to be at the center to order our life around. I have so much more I want to say about that, but I'm going to say it. Um, This is what our world needs. We need people coming together, Christians coming together in love around the table so they can go forth to spread the peace of God. Our world is so fractured. Our country is so fractured. We need more of this. Next point. All right. This is a good thing to order your life around because it tells the history of the world and it builds community. But third, this is a good thing to order your life around because it offers an immersive experience of the good news of the gospel. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but uh, Allison and I, for a date a while back, went to the immersive Van Gogh exhibit. Some of you have done this in Chicago. It must be popular because I see it's moving around the country and they're doing new artists, right? And you go into this space, and it's not, I love Van Gogh's paintings, but you, there's music. And there's actually, I think they pump some smells in there, right? And you're moving through space, through uh, Van Gogh's um, paintings. It, it's an immersive experience. Well, far more so than that. This meal is an immersive experience of the good news of Jesus. Now, this meal is evidently about the crucifixion of Jesus. That's self-evident, right? Jesus, the bread points to Jesus' body. The cup of wine points to his blood, right? But consider a couple of things. First of all, this this is fascinating to me. This supper is depicted in, in, in all of them, in all the Gospels. But here in Luke 22, this is before Jesus died. Look with me at verse 15. Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Okay, this is the last night of Jesus' life. He's trying to help the disciples make sense of his coming death. But instead of giving them a theory, instead of giving them a sermon, instead of giving them more teaching, he gives them a meal. Think about that. He gives them a meal. Now, I love sermons, right? Uh, I do it for a living. But this meal is far more clear and persuasive than anything I can say. This meal. This is how Jesus wants to explain his death. This is the night before he dies. And it's almost like, friends, this is how you need to make sense of what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, another thing to consider as we think about this meal and how it's an immersive experience of, uh, of the good news. Consider who is there. I think it's so, this is visit, I wish like Rembrandt or somebody would have painted this. And it said Judith's hand was on the table with him. That's such a powerful, Judas, if you know the Christian story, is the person who betrays Jesus. And it says there, I don't have the verse in front of me, but his hand was on the table. What a powerful image. But then, Peter's there. We could talk about all the disciples. All the disciples desert Jesus. Jesus will die alone. These friends that have been with him, he's given his life for them. He dies alone. But it's Peter. Who after who has been served the supper, Peter goes on. That's why I had the scripture reading me a little bit longer. That Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times. You see, this meal, Jesus knew that. He, just, he predicted it, right? This meal is for Peter's. This meal is for deserters. It is for deniers. It is for failures. It is for the faithless. 
You see, friends, we come to this meal not because we're strong, but because we're weak. We come not because we're good, but because God is good and gracious to us. We come because we love God a little and we want to love him more. One of my favorite things in my job, it, we may be changing this a little bit this year, I don't know, but uh, I, um, there, there's Believe class for middle school students and even high school students in uh, the spring where students spend five or six weeks, they study the, the scriptures, they study um, Christianity. It's for them to become communing members of the church. It's like when Violet, years from now, will want to come forward, she's been baptized, but to come forward to actually take the Lord's Supper to be an official member of the church for their first community. They do this class, and then they come and they meet with me. We meet right here. We meet either in this row or right here. We meet in this room. And I, several things are happening in that meeting. One, I want to know about them. I mean, I want them to know that I'm not just their parents' pastor, but I'm their pastor. So I ask them about their school. I ask them where they go to school, what they love. But we're mainly here to talk about the gospel. And we meet in this room because I want to talk about the Lord's Supper. And I want to talk about the gospel because this table so clearly tells the gospel story. And this is how I talk about it with these children. I say, you know, th th what this meal tells us is that you are more wicked, you're more broken, you're more sinful than you ever dared imagine. Like Peter, you're so wicked, so broken that the Son of God had to die for you. The table tells you that. But the table also tells you, and more importantly, you are more loved than you ever dared hope. You're more accepted because of what God has done for you. The Son of God died for you. That is how much you are loved. More wicked than you ever dared imagine and more loved than you ever dared hope. That's what this meal tells us. That we are broken and loved. Sinful and accepted. You see, friends, without the Lord's Supper... It is easy to drift into thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But this bloody meal reminds us that we are so guilty that Jesus had to die. Without the Lord's Supper, it's easy to forget just how much God loves us. But this meal is a weekly reminder. How much does God love you? He loves you so much that he gave his son for you. How much does Jesus love you? He gave his life for you. That is how much God loved. It's so easy to forget those things. And this meal is a weekly reminder of that, but it's not just a reminder. A sermon's a reminder. This meal is an experience of that. You actually bite into the bread. You taste the juice. You taste the wine. Friends, the Lord's Supper is something to order your life around. It tells the history of the world. It builds community. And it offers an immersive experience of the good news of Jesus. So order your life around it, whatever that means. Now, I'm sure if I worked harder, I could explain this a little better. I could say more things. There's things I've left out. But only a little bit. Let me make sure. There's only a little bit more I could say. Because here's the reason. It's not because of my ability or inability, because the Lord's Supper is something you can never fully explain. You can never fully understand it. You can only experience it. So let's get on with it. Let's get to the table. We're going to sing. We're going to confess our faith. I'll give some logistics because we're going to do it a little bit differently this week. And then we come to the Lord's table, which reminds you just how much your God loves you. Come to experience that love. Let me pray for us. Our great God, I pray that 
your spirit would be present in unique ways to all of us as we come forward to the Lord's Supper to know your love for us. Be with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.